Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. I'm Andrew Patterson, and today we want to talk about women's great exhaustion. It's been a tough two years for women. Early in the COVID-19 pandemic, women were hit harder by the job losses, leading many to call a she session. But as the pandemic wore on, we started to see wider impacts on women too. We saw women on the front line of the crisis response, with 75% of the workforce in social health and social care. We saw women taking on more work at home due to school and childcare closures. And we saw women feeling more isolated from social networks. And we saw a shadow pandemic too, the rise in domestic violence as lockdowns trapped women with abusive partners and relationships. These took their toll, and after two years, more than 40% of women in Europe were, were reporting that the pandemic had a major negative impact on their mental health. These cumulative effects are what we are calling the great exhaustion. Today, I'm joined by Ray Cooper, Professor of Gender, Work and Employment Relations at the University of Sydney, Australia. And we're going to discuss what happened to women and what we can do about it. Ray, great to have you with us, and welcome to OECD Podcasts. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you. And, and to start, so Ray, we were warned of a she session at the very beginning of the pandemic. Uh, did it come to pass? Yes, it certainly did, unfortunately. Um, so women globally, we know, lost more jobs and lost more hours. And that means uh, than men, their male colleagues and family members. And that means that they lost more earnings. And it means that economic security has been challenged in a very gendered way. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, looking at all of those indicators, um, we know that women really were profoundly affected during um, the period of the pandemic, which I think we keep thinking is over and start, you know, start want to try to keep um, talking about post-pandemic. We're not sadly quite there yet. Um, but, yes, it has been a profoundly gendered experience in the economy um, and adversely, absolutely affecting women more than men. And were there particular features of this particular recession and the pandemic that that led to that uh, to that happening? Yeah, it's interesting. So, in, in terms of you know the the um, arc of time and the previous big shocks we've seen in the economy. So, if we think back to the global financial crisis, um, you know, two thousand nine, two thousand and ten, that was a period where men's jobs were very severely affected um, compared to uh, women, and more so than women's jobs actually. Uh, and that was, you know, about the impact on particular sectors and particular types of work. And we've seen a similar thing play out, but in reverse this time around. So where we've seen job loss and really quick job loss um, was in the sectors where women really dominate. Um, so in those uh, service sector roles and in particularly in that contemporaneous um, customer facing service work. So, you know, retail, um, hospitality, tourism, um, areas like the arts, um, the, uh, all of those kind of areas are very highly feminized, um, and they were the areas that shut uh, lost jobs and did so very, very quickly. Um, and so we saw a real vulnerability of uh, those sectors and the workers in those sectors. And because of the workers in the sectors being primarily women, um, it's a really gendered impact. Um, but we know there were other effects um, beyond that or intersectional effects, if you like. So, um, you know, I talked about the sectoral um, impacts, but we also know that there were impacts around things such as age um, and the global research suggests that um, young women were profoundly affected. So the under 30s, um, you know, have, have had a very tough uh, two, two years, two and a half years. Um, 
And we really need to watch out for that generation of, of particularly young women, but young people broadly, um, who really suffered economically uh, through the period of uh, the pandemic, especially in the very big lockdowns. Um, and we also know that there was a, an effect on, um, according to different family forms. So parents in particular um, of young children, either, you know, younger school age children or before school age, you know, so preschool pre age or, or babies, um, because of the, you know, attempt to juggle, um, you know, work and family in the same place at home. Um, and so um, because women globally tend to take on the majority of um, that unpaid work, you know, the love work at home, um, that they were very profoundly affected by both the squeeze between the economic insecurity and also um, the impact of the unpaid work that escalated really dramatically, very quickly, and a lot of it fell to women. That age dynamic as well is, is really interesting, of course, yeah. because um, some of those women, most of those women, in fact, will probably carry that scarring with them throughout much of their careers going forward um, without the right policy measures. And, and was that also true of, um, uh, of young entrepreneurs as well when it came to women entrepreneurs? Did, did you see similar kinds of, uh, of effects for them? Yeah, so we know that, you know, because it's such a sectoral, the way it's played out in such a strong sectoral dynamic, um, we know that business founders and leaders, um, particularly small businesses in the services sector, were profoundly impacted. That's a really fe feminised group of entrepreneurs, um, you know, women working in those, um, those kinds of areas. So less so the areas like manufacturing or construction, um, where um, they, were, they were affected, but not in as profound a kind of way. So yes, we can definitely see it playing out in terms of um, entrepreneurs as well. Um, and I think we uh, your comment there about the younger women, we really do need to um, be paying careful attention to this because we know that um, in previous, um, you know, significant economic shocks that the people who lose their jobs in those periods do carry the scars throughout their career and throughout uh, their labour market experience. And we need to be really making sure um, that, that we have the policies in place to look after them. Um, otherwise, this is not just something that happens in a blip over a two-year period, but can be something that people carry across their their life and their career that's a very powerful and important um important impact to tackle for for governments and for public policy makers at all levels um and let's turn to to the wider impacts as well so you mentioned already kind of the the childcare responsibilities and other things that were going on in the in the environment that that really sort of bore down on on women um what can we say about the kind of broader experience of women beyond the economic beyond the labor market and beyond the entrepreneurial aspirations that they had mm. also profound um, and a lot of it is about the types of work that um, women and men do whether that's paid or unpaid um, you know so we have both a sort of upping in the hours in the highly feminized and undervalued sectors in terms of the paid economy around um, care and health so whether that's early childhood education and care whether it's aged care disability care or just direct health services we see it real upping in the hours and the demand um, there, but at the same time, you see an upping in the demand of um, unpaid hours um, at home. And there's been some interesting research globally that suggests that actually the women who work in those sectors in paid employment are those who've actually suffered the most, being squeezed the most between the pressures at home and the pressures in terms of, um, you know, that dynamic of um, the need in the community. Uh, for their really essential work, which sadly is very undervalued. Um, but we've also, you know, so we've seen that uptick at home in unpaid work, but we know 
Now, you mentioned in your intro there the, the shadow pandemic. So we know that is a global phenomenon. Uh, women across the globe are talking about ill health, um, stress, anxiety. Uh, we know that um, things such as domestic abuse and violence um, has increased as well, um, very disappointingly, throughout the, the pandemic um, globally. Um, and we also know that, um, I know the Australian data very well, but there has been an increase in um, threatening and abusive behaviour as well. So not just the direct physical violence, but also, you know, um, a, a culture of um, menacing behaviour in homes as well. So all of that put together is a bit of a pressure cooker, you know, um, and one of the reasons why we do talk about the great exhaustion and this great, um, you know, weight that's on the shoulders of of women um, particularly those with really strong caring responsibilities because it's um, mixing all of my metaphors but you know it's a perfect storm in many respects of, of the experience of the last couple of years. That's I mean that's that's really really um, disappointing stuff to hear and um, and with the birth of, birth of my third child I'm particularly interested in um, the impacts you found for parents um, you know the closures of, of schools and childcare we've already touched upon but maybe you can talk a little bit more about the impacts that that had on on their kind of their, their work life and also their domestic life too because obviously it will have squeezed their working hours and uh, ability to perform in work and in their careers. Yes well anyone who like me had children schooling from home uh, through the pandemic will know that no matter how much you love your beautiful children that it's almost impossible to work when they're in the home with you um, and so I think parents across the globe who were actually lucky enough in some respects to be able to work from home um, found it really difficult to combine those those two um, things so that was um, that's one of the reasons why it has been such a stressful sort of situation um, particularly for mums as I say because a lot of that domestic labor falls to mums but also for for fathers particularly of young um, young children um, and you know there's some glimmers of hope there so at, at one level you think okay lots of these sectors um, I've been in the field doing some um, big research projects looking at um, what might work look like after the pandemic um, and what did what were some of the good things that came out of it so we've talked a lot about you know the the, the, the bad things around um, you know economic shock and the challenges to economic security levels of stress particularly for parents particularly for mums um, but at the same time, uh, I, I guess one of the, the things that for parents in particular um, has uh, been opened up is the capacity to actually do more remote working. Um, so I think we looking at some of the experiences of remote working during the pandemic was interesting because it's sort of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Being able to maintain employment and economic security, being able to um, work at home while you've got those care responsibilities going on is both really great but also quite terrible sometimes when you think about what the impact is on on working life and uh, productivity capacity to concentrate um, and levels of stress so all of that uh, played out in both its positive and negative effects I think and we have to think through what does that mean we do next what do we need to put in place to make that manageable and sustainable when we're not in an absolute crisis situation it's good to hear about a, a glimmer of hope and some some positive perhaps aspects of, of what's what's come to pass but um is there also a positive story to tell about uh, the ways in which governments responded you know i mean did they put in in place support for women um in the same way that they put in place support for businesses um did you see any any positivity there well <laughs> I think one of the themes in the commentary uh, around the responses of governments across the globe to the pandemic is that often governments answered a, a question that wasn't asked, if you like. Um, so 
a traditional response to sort of stimulate economy um, and to get you know people working and and the economy moving is to invest heavily into traditional hard infrastructure um, and that's a sort of tried and true method um, the problem is that the question um, that was put was really what do we do about women's you know the women who have been so profoundly affected so I think there probably hasn't been as much work into rethinking what does social infrastructure look like how can we invest in those areas um, that are both um, the areas that were, were very important during the pandemic but also areas where there's really significant employment of women, but also areas where we really need to lift the quality of employment um, and the, you know, and the, frankly, the good, have capacity for good jobs to develop in those areas. So some, or some uh, you know, um, contexts where there was a concentration on, tr on trying to build up um, the contribution um, and trying to build up the, you know, um, injection of funds into those sectors, I think that was probably very good. Um, but sadly, Andy, across the globe, um, governments tended to invest in the areas where men dominate, and not just dominate, but dominate as 85% plus of the, of the workforce in hard infrastructure. So thinking that th through is, a, is another important lesson. And thinking about what, what we were demonstrated during the period of the pandemic is just how critical um, social infrastructure, um, areas like health and human services, is to both the economy but also to society um, and thinking through ways that we can think a little bit more cleverly about what does infrastructure mean for us as economy and society um, and how can we try to think through um, investments in a, in a different way that's not just about concrete bridges and railway tracks, if you like. It really does argue for a more more targeted approach and one that really brings the the gender lens to to bear on on policy making a bit more broadly than, than than has happened in the past and and in our work at the OECD we find that local governments have, have played a particular role in in some of this um, have you seen that too yeah different levels of government it's interesting have done slightly different things and it depends on the on the context um, I think we often tend to, and I, like I suffer from this as well, tend to concentrate on national level governments. But there has been some interesting work from local governments across the globe at looking at things such as care services and, and thinking through the connections in community um, and working through the ways that local labour markets work. And I think there's some promise in that, actually. Um, and I wonder if it's because local governments are closer to, closer to the community and closer to the local lab, labour market and understand you know, in a sort of more rooted way, the the way that um, those communities connect in with the economy. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a variety of different responses at different levels and in different um, contexts globally. But, yeah, we have seen some um, some interesting work by, by local governments um, that has been a little variegated, if you like, and a little different from what we've seen at the national scale. It's uh, reassuring to, to hear to a degree that, that local governments are stepping up to the challenge as well as, in some cases, national governments too. Um, but a final word, perhaps, as we, as we seek the end of this podcast, um, turning to the future, what would you like to see change in terms of, of public policy making and, and for prospects for women? Uh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, look, I think we, if we start with what are the principles for us to build back, not just better, um, but build back differently and better. I think we need to really have a gender lens on recovery. Uh, and that means us thinking through um, how do we think about the impact of economic shock and who the, the subject is, if you like, 
how we think through the importance, the critical importance of highly feminised sectors and how we invest in them and start to think about them as social infrastructure. But I think it's also about trying to think through how do we have um, both women, like literally women, at the tables where we're trying to design strategies to respond to crisis, but also how do we have women's experiences and voices at those tables. So that's about doing work around some of the things I know that the OECD thinks through, which is how do we have a, a gender disaggregated data? How do we try to think through, um, you know, what the impact of policy is in a, in a gendered sense? Um, and how do we elevate women's voices um, to try to, you know, ensure that they are absolutely part of an inclusive recovery? So that's a, a broad ranging answer. But I think um, thinking with a gen uh, having a gender lens in front of everything that we do um, and always data, but always evaluating uh, for the impact um, in terms of gender and its specific impact on women and their vital work in particular sectors. Thank you. And um, is there anything in particular we might think of doing to, to tackle some of the deep scars that the, the pandemic's left, the things that you've talked about that women have already been through? I mean, are they there things that we can do to, to, to perhaps improve their prospects going forward and tackle those scars? Yeah, well, look, one thing that I think governments globally should do is invest very heavily in early childhood education and care um, and, and not just in, um, you know, sort of um, throwing money at, at those sectors, but actually investing in ways that actually builds up the quality of the services there, which is very good for children, um, but in a way that also leverages women's labour force participation and also at the same time um, makes for good jobs and career paths in those sectors that are very highly feminised, you know, sort of up to 90% in um, some contexts of women working in those sectors. Um, to me, that seems good for the economy because it's about participation and growth. Um, it's good in terms of the labour market. They are very big employers, these sectors, um, and very big employers of of women, but also very good for the next generation because we know that high quality education and care is absolutely critical, both for economic performance, um, but also for the well-being of our, our vulnerable little children. Thanks, Ray. Um, that's been an excellent overview of the, the concepts of the great exhaustion and, uh, and some things that we might do uh, looking forward to, to tackle it. I mean, it brings us to the end of our session today, and I'll certainly be taking my gender lens with me in my work going forward at the OECD. If you're interested, uh, listeners, in finding out more, you can hear more from, from Ray by googling gender equality in working life at the University of Sydney, and you can find out more about the OECD gender work at www.oecd.org, and follow our work on Twitter at OECD Local. Thank you very much, Ray, and thank you, everyone, for listening. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud.com slash OECD.